Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to another episode of our Best Kept Secret Show, where I am happy to welcome Robin Bolton. Robin's the founder of Mile Zero. Mile Zero is a consulting firm that works with upper mid-market companies, typically 100 million to a billion in revenue, on how to become more innovative in their businesses. She's based in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you, Jay. Happy to be here. So, Robin, I have been passionate my virtually my entire life when it comes to creative, being creative, being innovative, working with others on how to think out of the box as I entered into the professional world, both as a consultant and as an executive at a number of companies. I normally really focused on how to introduce innovation. I've talked to so many business leaders on the subject. It is, of course, a sexy topic, but that doesn't mean that people really get it. I'm I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes actually on creativity, which goes something like this. It is easy to be creative when you are unconstrained by the facts. And Robin, when I talk to so many executives, they really articulate the struggle around how do you come up with new ideas? How do you think differently? How do you get this out of the box creativity that everybody is looking for? And as I hear this time and time again, it makes me wonder if they're really thinking about it the right way as someone who is one of the top experts in the innovation world. What say you? Understand why they think innovation is an idea problem, but it's not. Innovation is a leadership problem. And that is a very uncomfortable truth to recognize. It's also one that's really easy to miss. And the reason innovation is a leadership problem is because you have leaders, you have executives who want innovation. They recognize the business value of new ideas, of new businesses, of driving growth. They get rewarded and measured based on the month, on delivering the quarter, on delivering the year. And so you have this tension between what they want, kind of emotionally you know, I'd say socially in terms of recognition around being innovative. But the fact is their their bonus, their paycheck, their you know career success relies on delivering the near term. And innovation takes years. And so you, you're not going to hit your near term, monthly, quarterly, annual goals by investing in innovation that doesn't pay off for another three to five years. And so it's the it's that tension that leaders face that often cause them to pull money from innovation, put it to the core business to deliver the near-term results. And that's why innovation fizzles and dies. It's 
the leadership challenge. It's not a lack of ideas. I, I want to come back in, in, in a minute to sort of those trade-offs and, and maybe a new way that they should be thinking about. But before I get there, I, I, I have a question for you. I think there is a view out there that you cannot have an innovative organization without a leader who is very innovative and creative. True or false? I'd say false. I don't think the leader necessarily has to be innovative. The leader has to be a leader and recognize the talents that they have in their team that is innovative, that is willing to act even if they're encumbered by the facts and create new things. And the leader needs to create the space for them to do that, to give them the resources that they need to create, to give them the air cover um, from on high that they need to be creative and buy them the time to bring things to fruition. So really the leader has to be, if you think of the art world, the leader has to be a patron to the artist, not the artist him or herself. Great uh, analogy. And I think it's very enlightening to look at the innovation challenge as a leadership issue more than an idea problem. And I think you've articulated the issue. So let's talk about how you need to look at it. How do you resolve the short-term pressures with the idea of innovation takes time that goes beyond the quarterly uh, review cycle? And, and I'm going to throw a related issue out there. Let's talk about our people. And with people, you have the annual performance review cycle, which again, doesn't sound sync. It doesn't sound like it is in sync with how the innovation cycle works. So what's the right way for organizations and leaders to be thinking through how you do innovation? So I think the first thing is to recognize what you just said that the way the company, the organization is set up is at odds with innovation. And so what you need to do to be innovative is almost the exact opposite of what you need to do to be successful kind of in the core business. And simply acknowledging that difference is really, really important. Once you've acknowledged that difference, you then have to look at innovation the way you would look at, I'd argue, any other discipline or function in the company. Just the way you look at marketing or finance or supply chain, where you invest there, you have to invest in innovation and view it with the same discipline that you view those other functions. Innovation is not an event. You're not going to have a hackathon over two days and come out with a billion dollar business that's ready to launch in six months, which is what some organizations think is gonna happen. Innovation is an investment and it's gotta be an investment the way you view investing in other functions that are part of making your company successful. Very, very interesting. Um, and you know, we're going to uh, talk uh, now about the benefits and how an innovative company gets rewarded. But uh, before I get there, this idea that innovation is an investment, you know, we have our operating budget, we have our capital budget, and the timeframes are different. And I think that the uh, Uber leaders, if you will, have got to make the case to their stakeholders that they are investing in the future of the business, not just in tomorrow's uh, results. And it is about 
by getting that balance. And I think we have seen examples of companies that turn off their investment budget and the investment community punishes them because uh, in classic investment theory, the value of your business is forward looking. And uh, so that strategy of, of mortgaging our future for the present rarely is rewarded, but it is about that balance. And we'll come to that in a second. But let me, let me talk first about the decision maker, that leader who needs to make this the tough decisions about balancing and protecting the part of the organization that is investing in their future and in their uh, future market leadership. What are the returns to them for doing a good job at managing this process? There's lots of rewards and benefits. The first one I'd say is just pause for a moment and Think of business leaders that immediately come to mind when you think about who is a great CEO or who is a great leader in business. And often the names that come up in your head are people that are closely associated with innovation. And that is, in a lot of ways, one of the biggest benefits to you as a leader if you do kind of take that really brave and courageous act to treat innovation like a discipline, to invest in it, to create the space and the time for your innovators to do their amazing work is you essentially create a legacy for yourself as one of the champions of innovations in the in the company in the corporate world and going back to your question around does the leader have to be innovative again no the leader doesn't have to be innovative they have to create the space to essentially unlock the potential of their teams of their organizations and the benefits accrue to the business and the benefits accrue to the leader who had the courage to make that choice. So it's an incredible way to build a legacy, and it's an incredible legacy to build. And I think it, it goes beyond, obviously, just the legacy, because as I was alluding to, I have always believed that innovative organizations do better financially, both in terms of stock market value and even in the P&L. Robin, do you have any hard numbers for us that would support that assertion? Of course I do. So yes, in the stock market, companies are rewarded for being innovative. And um, Forbes does a really interesting kind of ranking and calculation that actually looks at the innovation stock premium that companies get. And so the stock premium is basically the portion of the company's market value that can't be accounted for by today's business, by today's kind of net present value. And companies that are in their top 100 list of most innovative have between a 35 and 90% innovation stock premium. I mean, imagine that 90% stock premium based on something that doesn't exist today. You see it also, as you said, Jay, in the bottom line that McKinsey looked at companies that are considered great in innovation, companies that are considered kind of, you know, average representative of the market. And the best in class innovators had profit that was almost two and a half times that of kind of average companies in their sector. So it's not just saying, oh, well, you know, that company's innovative and they're in software and we're in hardware. No, kind of like to like innovative companies have about two and a half times more profit than even average companies. And then I think very interestingly, given that there's so much conversation going on right now about the great resignation, employees 
want permission to be innovative. They want to bring those ideas forward and companies that create ways for employees to do that, to not just bring their ideas forward, but actually work on and kind of see them to whatever the natural endpoint is, those companies have, you know, a five to 44% increase in employee retention. So if you want to keep your best talent, innovation is a great way to do it. Another observation I would share, if you go back, I don't know, 1950s, maybe even the 60s and earlier, and you looked at publicly traded companies, a big proportion of their value came from their tangible business assets, property, plant, and equipment. Uh, today, the overwhelming majority of the value of the business is through their intangible assets. And the biggest part of that is their intellectual property. And what is it that a company does to generate new intellectual property? It's innovation. So I think no matter how you look at it, it is essential that companies to in order to succeed, and by the way, not just the big public ones, arguably even more important for smaller businesses who've got to dance between the steps of the elephant uh, to stay agile, to stay nimble, and to stay ahead of the pack requires enormous uh, innovation capability. So given the overwhelmingly strong case that you put forward, Robin, what are the key things that any business needs to do tactically in order to be successful at innovation? Like I said, it's not an event. Innovation is not an event. It is a business function. And what that means is that when you decide to take innovation seriously and truly invest in it, you need to invest in it the way you would in any other of your business lines or functions. You need to set a clear strategy clear strategic and financial goals. Now, those goals, as we talked about, are going to be you know three to five years in the future, not next quarter, but you can still set goals. You need to set realistic expectations around timing, you know, success rate of, of the things that you work on, resourcing. It's not unusual for, for me to hear that, oh, we want a $250 million business launched by the end of the year with two people and $10 in funding. That is not realistic. So set realistic expectations around what you can accomplish and by when. Then resource those teams that you put together appropriately. Make sure they're cross-functional. Make sure that they have people with the right kind of mindsets. And make sure that you give them access to the money and to the expertise that they need. And last, kind of going back to where we started of this tension between you know, the existing business and the new business, recognize that tension. And then as a leader, it's your job to manage that tension and to shield the innovation team from that core business, which I always like to say is going to love it to death, that they're going to be very, the core business is going to be very excited about the innovation team. And in the spirit of helping, they're going to give a lot of advice, which is just going to drag all the innovation stuff back into looking like something like the core. So protect the innovation team from all of the help that the core is going to try to give so that they can be maybe not unencumbered by the facts, but not you know, rigidly bound to the facts, shall we say. Robin, you have challenged us on to think differently about this subject of innovation. But at the same time, I think you have laid out a path forward that we can follow to get there. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to learn a bit more about Robin. 
Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead, conversation, and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category of One program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. Let's find out a bit more about Robin. Robin, talk to us a bit about the pain points that you solve for your clients and why do they need you to get rid of this pain? <laughs> so the pain points I solve for my clients, one of them is the pain point you started the show off with, which is we need to be more innovative. We need more ideas. Another pain point is I'm investing in innovation, but I'm not seeing any return on that investment, fair point. And then my favorite one is that we need to disrupt ourselves. And usually the first and the third, if we need more ideas and we need to disrupt ourselves, I um, disabuse my clients of those ideas pretty quickly, you know, one by sharing what I shared with you of, you know, here's probably the root cause of why innovative is, innovation is challenging, the disrupt ourselves. You know, I worked for Clayton Christensen's firm, so I'm probably more of a stickler for the word disrupt than other folks, but be disruptive in the Clayton Christensen sense means that you're doing something that's low, offering something that's lower cost and worse performing than what you currently offer. And as soon as you say to a company like, are you willing to offer something that's cheaper and not as good? No way. Understandably. So it's important to break through those first and then really get to the heart of it, which is usually I'm investing in innovation, but I'm not seeing a return on the investment. And so to address that, you know, first you got to get to the root of the problem. And then the way I work with clients is extraordinarily collaboratively. I could go off, try to solve your problem, put together a beautiful recommendation, bring it to you, but then it is going to probably end up like every other consulting deck you've ever received, which is propping up a wobbly table. You've got to do this together because what we're doing to help make you know the company, the organization more innovative is we're changing how it operates and how it thinks. And so I kind of joke with my clients that we're going to do this. I do, we do, you do. I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to show you how it's done. You're going to get mentored and coached along the way. Then we're going to do this side by side. And then you're going to take the lead and I'm going to be there to support you. And we do this, kind of follow this I do, we do model, both in building a capability. So building that function around innovation of finding the right people, setting up the right structures, processes, the right governance. Um, to really help the organization deliver on those strategic and financial goals that we talked about before the break that have to get set up. Uh, also, you know, once we get that set up, then we got to start getting those returns, launching the new businesses, coming up with the ideas, running the experiments, kind of rubber to the road kind of stuff and making it real. Because 
I always guarantee whatever we come up with in that kind of first part of things of the process of the templates, that is hopefully more right than wrong, but there's still a lot of wrong in there. And the key is to really shape those things, shape the capability, shape the process, shape the governance to work for that specific organization, for that specific culture and industry and everything. And mold it so that it is unique to the organization because that is what will make it stick and what will make it work. So we start really kind of getting those businesses cranking, start, you know, even as I call them revenue generating experiments, because it's a business, it's not a nonprofit. We got to get some revenue in the door. So how can we do that quickly? Sorry, all along the way is is the coaching. Because like we talked about, you have to do things in innovation completely different than how you do them in the core. You need support to do that. But like anything that we do in business, simply going through the motions and saying, I do innovation doesn't mean that you're any good at it. And clearly innovation, like everything, it's important that you do the things and the processes and the governance that you talked about so that you don't only do it, but that you're great at doing it. And and that leads me, Robin, to ask you, what makes you great at what you do? That's a good question. Um, so what makes me great at what I do? I have essentially spent my whole career in innovation, doing innovation. And first kind of formative experience straight out of undergrad, I was in a big company. I was in Procter & Gamble trying to develop and launch one of the first brands that they had launched in some 30 years. And, you know, we all now know that brand is Swiffer and Swiffer WetJet. So it was an incredible experience to be part of the team that, that brought that to life. But I assure you, I bear the scars of birthing that Swiffer. Uh, and so I know how hard it is to do something new in a big company. And I know how important leadership was in enabling Swiffer to get to market. And so, you know, I'm not coming in from a point of theory or best practice, certainly bring those in, but I've walked the talk. And so I understand the challenges, the real day-to-day challenges that folks face. That said, I do bring in the the theory and the best practices and all of that kind of world-class thinking that's going on, you know, outside of the company, because those are phenomenal starting points. We have enough work to do. Let's not recreate the innovation wheel. Let's build on the thinking that people have already done. Let's adapt the thinking that has already happened and the tools that have already been tested. So I bring all of that world-class thinking to my clients and together we figure out how do we make this work. Along those lines is very flexible. I try to be very humble. I will be the first to admit, like I know a lot about innovation, but my clients will always know more about their business than I will. As much as I will try to learn it, they will be the experts on their business. And so we've got to listen to each other to make progress. And last, I try to make it fun. I mean, we spend too much time at work for it to be drudgery. So let's have a good time along the way and enjoy ourselves and laugh and not take things too seriously. It's serious business, but we don't have to take ourselves seriously. You know, you talked about how you started at P&G, and I encourage everybody to go to uh, Robin's LinkedIn page, look at the, her career arc. I am sure you will find it as impressive as I did, but I'm interested in something a little bit different. Robin, if you think about 
your personal life, your professional life. What's the thing that has happened to you that would most explain why you're doing what you're doing today? I think there are two things. There's one thing that explains why I'm doing what I am. There's another story that explains kind of why I do it the way I do. So first, why I do what I do. Uh, this is, it, it ties to PNG. So I went to a university at Miami University, which is in Ohio, um, and PNG very close by. And of course, in the business school, it's held up as like the end all be all, the most perfect organization that has ever existed. And probably not surprisingly, I have a slight streak of anti authority and rebellion. And I thought there's no way that any company is as perfect as all my professors are making PNG out to be. So when they, you know, the recruiting time started and they asked me to interview for a brand management role, I said, aha, I will interview and then I will turn them down and then they will not be perfect anymore. Oh, to be 20 again. And what I ultimately wanted to do was to work at an ad agency. So interview with ad agencies, interviewed with PNG, got my offers from, you know, from both sides. And then I was over spring break my senior year at Miami, was looking at them and realized P&G was going to pay me twice as much to live in a city of half the cost of living of Chicago or New York. And as rebellious as I am, I am also terribly practical and caved and said, all right, well, I'll go to P&G for a few years and then I'll go over to an agency. And luckily, truly pure luck. When I went to PNG, I was hired directly into the innovation team and started working on Swiffer, which was a code name at the time. And then quite literally a year to the day after I graduated Miami, I was in front of the North American sales force announcing the launch of Swiffer. And that's a pretty unbeatable first year out in the real world. And so I got bit by the innovation bug then and have stuck with it ever since. But now for the story about yes. why I do things, how I do them. Um, and that's a, that's a more recent story. So back in 2005, uh, my mom passed away very suddenly and unexpectedly. And my mom was a nursery school teacher. And, you know, I, sometimes you come across people that you're like, oh my gosh, you were put on this earth to do this job. And that was my mom. She's like the Pied Piper, like kids she had never met would gravitate to her. And so when she passed away, it was remarkable the number of children who came to her calling hours. And one of the, I will always remember, there was one girl who was probably about eight. My mom taught four-year-olds. And of everyone that week, this little girl was the most wrecked individual I saw that entire week. Um, she's just inconsolable. And so I actually stepped out of, you know, kind of the greeting line, went over to talk to her to see if she was okay, because I didn't see any grown-ups around her. And through sobs, she said, your mom changed my life. And I thought, you're eight. There's not a lot of life to change. Um, <laughs> what? And then she explained that when she was four, she was struggling so much in school. She was struggling so much socially. Um, in terms of learning, that her parents were going to pull her out of school and were going to homeschool her. But my mom noticed that she liked to sing. And so my mom would sing with her. And to be very clear, my mom could not carry a tune in a bucket. We're not a singing family. But my mom sang with this four-year-old. And that gave this little girl the confidence to keep trying 
And now she was in elementary school. She's in her school choir. She said she had friends. She's doing well at school. And that was the moment that I realized what success actually looks like. That it's not about kind of all these, you know, things that we look at, money, yachts, whatever, titles, that it's about changing someone's life. And it's the little things that we do, the everyday interactions, the times when we do something that maybe makes us feel a little silly, um, but that connects with someone and gives them courage and support. That's what leads to a successful life. So that's why, you know, I do my work in innovation, but I always do it with that story with kind of my mom and that little girl in the back of my head of, am I working with my clients in a way where I'm making their life better? Well, what a, just a terrific, heartwarming story. It, it, it brings to life uh, what it is that you do. I have no doubt that we've got a lot of people in the audience that would love to reach out to you and better understand how to pull off. What I think for a lot of people is this very high degree of difficulty, but essential task of how do you make your organization more innovative, Robin, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? The best way to find me is on email. So my email address is robin at mile0.io. And that's Robin with a Y, not an I. And we will put that in uh, the show notes, make it very easy along with uh, Robin's uh, LinkedIn address. All right, Robin, you were amazing today. I think you've given us so much uh, to think about, but really uh, you've acted, I think, as a bit of a North Star that can guide us to how we should become more innovative. And as, you know, look, as amazing as that is, I think you can do more. I think you can do better. I have got the backs of our listeners and I'm going to put it straight to you. I'd like you do a little something extra for the good people that are listening, taking notes and really rethinking based on what you've told them how to think about innovation. What can you do? All right. I respect that, Jay. You got to you gotta advocate for your customers, got to advocate for your listeners. So, so congratulations, mad respect to you for doing that. And so what I will do uh, for listeners of this podcast, when you email me, put in your email that you, know, you listen to Best Kept Secret, and I will respond with a link to a very quick, very short survey where you will uh, get asked questions to assess where you're at, kind of in your innovation journey. And when I get the results, when I get the answers to your questions, I will pull together a custom innovation roadmap for you giving kind of the first three things that you need to start working on if you're going to be serious about innovation. Every successful journey starts with self-awareness and understanding your starting point. So Robin, that is amazing. Listeners, let us take her up on that great offer. Robin, thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing guest on The Best Kept Secret to our listeners. Let's keep crushing it until next time.